0: Well, it's good to see all of you today. It's good to, to be back in the pulpit. I've, I've been gone a couple of weeks. Actually, here at work, uh, I, I do this a lot in August. I'll take a a Sunday or two out of the pulpit just to kind of focus on some of the the business and personnel and different things we've got going on and kind of set up toward a run toward the end of the year. Uh, believe it or not, uh, preparing a sermon takes a good part of my week. So when I don't have a sermon, I can get a lot of other things done, and I, I usually use a couple of weeks in August for that. So I've been here, but uh, focusing on that and uh, real excited about some of the things we're doing that I'll be. Uh, sharing here in the weeks and the, the months to come. And you know, folks, what's been exciting is just looking back at some of the real difficulties and challenges that we're having in our world today and how the God is using, is going to use those very things, I think, to really position our church for the future and to position us for a vision uh, th- that we can fill the vision that, that God has given us so again very very excited about that and sharing more about that with you in the in the coming weeks uh, Good thankful to to uh, Rico Patterson and Mike Osborne for filling in uh, for me there a couple of Sundays. Uh, my wife enjoyed it, maybe the rest of you, not so much, but <laughs> um, you know some people might accuse. Me of like I came to one of the most difficult chapters in Revelation, if not the whole Bible, and then I left. <laughs> Here, you guys figure this out, but uh, they did take on a, a challenging chapter, and I think uh, did, did a great job with it. And so today we'll continue with uh, Revelation 17 and 18, and it's going to be about a city, a very important city, you know. If I were to ask you today, hey, what do you think are the most significant city, most significant city or most significant cities in the world? I I bet if we did a poll, we, we would probably all be calling out mentioning the the same three, four, five cities, right? I mean, on one side, it's going to be Moscow and London and Paris. On the other side, it'll be Beijing and Hong Kong and Tokyo. Maybe here in our nation, obviously, we're going to think of New York and D.C. nations like this. And if you put all those kind of like, okay, now we've got them all kind of identified, which one of those is the most significant, most influential city. And uh, I don't know that you could actually... I think it'd be hard to nail it down to one, at least authoritatively, and say this is the one. I might lean toward like maybe a New York City, uh, just because not only, not only does it so represent the commerce and the finances uh, of the United States, but even to a certain degree, the whole world. But it doesn't stop at finances. I mean, New York City gives us a... A, a culture of fashion, a culture of entertainment, a, a culture of travel. There's just so many ways New York t- touches the whole world. Now, again, everything I just said about New York could be said about some of these these other cities also. Now, while I said I think we would all mention kind of the same cities, I, I think there's two uh, that I didn't mention. One, I think if we thought about it a little bit more, we might throw it in there. The other one, I don't think we would ever come up with. I, I, I think a city that might make like a second tier uh, would be Jerusalem, right? I, I don't think of influential cities, most of us is coming right out of the gate with Jerusalem right away. But you know what? You can historically say this. It is the most fought over piece of property, piece of real estate, past, present, and future. So, obviously, something pretty significant is, is happening right there. So, Jerusalem might climb into that list of really significant cities. Now, one that nobody's going to mention is Babylon. But, but Babylon belongs in that list. Now, the reason it's not on our radar is it kind of fell off the radar. Oh, I don't know. A couple millennia ago. <laughs> it, it's been a while since Babylon was, was a city in the world. But, uh, it was actually mentioned recently. And when I say recently, I'm, I'm speaking in a historical context. Saddam Hussein actually talked about bringing Babylon back to its former glory and rebuilding it to make it one of the great cities of the world. Babylon, and, and when I say Saddam Hussein, Babylon, the nation, Babylon, the city, that is in the area today that we would refer to as, uh, as Iraq. But, uh, Babylon is truly one of the great world empires. For centuries, Babylon would have been the center of commerce, of religion, of power. To show you its place in the world and how it affected and touched everything, we only have to look at the Bible. I mean, the Bible covers a 1,500-year a, a time span of human history, and the most mentioned king in the Bible that's not Jewish, <laughs> there's a lot of Jewish kings mentioned in here, but the most mentioned king in the Bible that's not Jewish is a king from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. The second most mentioned city, now the first would be Starts with a J, we just talked, yeah, Jerusalem. (laughs) Jerusalem is the most mentioned city in the Bible. But the second most mentioned city is not another city in Israel. The second most mentioned city in the Bible is Babylon, 260 times Babylon is mentioned in the Bible. So that that shows you, I mean, mean, when you're a city of influence, you get mentioned everywhere and it shows up in the scriptures. Babylon covers the entire breadth of the scriptures. I mean, here we are today. We're going to be looking at that in Revelation in 17 and 18, literally the closing pages of the Bible. And do you know where Babylon's first appearance is? all the way at the other end, at the very opening, Genesis chapter 11, the tower of Babel. Babel, Babylon, same word in that language. It's all, that's where it started. That's where it got its start. And, and Babylon there was more than a city. Babylon was a way of thinking. It was a way of thinking that said, we don't need you, God. We don't need you to, to bring about justice we don't need you to bring about pleasure. We don't need you to bring about the lives that we want. And really what the Tower of Babel was ultimately about is, Lord, we don't even need you to get into the heavens. We, we can do that on our own. And they, they built this tower for that purpose. And God looked at the tower, and I'm guessing he kind of chuckled and said, That's cute. And then he just plunked it over. <laughs> but then a mystery you remember we talked about the word mystery, I don't even know what it was, four or five weeks ago? And we said a mystery isn't something confusing or that can't be known. A, a, a mystery is something we know because God reveals it. And so a mystery is God's allowance, God's use of things like Satan and sin and evil and their presence in the world. Well, another mystery is Babylon and what happened that day In Genesis 11. Because while God knocked over the physical structure, he let a structure get built in our hearts, in the hearts of humanity. He let that structure get built. And what we're going to see in Revelation 17 and 18 is God finally knocked down that structure. God finally deal with that. In Revelation 17 and 18, we're not coming to an event. Okay, at this point in the in the tribulation, this is where 17 happened or this is where 18 happened. Revelation 17 and 18 are kind of an overview of what the whole tribulation has been about. We have just come through the entire tribulation and now it's looking back on it. And God said, and here's what I was doing through all of those judgments. So Babylon is absolutely so significant to the story of the revelation, to the story of of the human story and how it relates with God. And the funny thing about that, so significant is we're not even actually sure what Revelation 17 and 18 means when it says Babylon. What are you referring to there, Lord? And there's a couple leading ideas. One is that it's not so much a city as it is an area. At the end of 1 Peter, uh, he refers to Rome as a Babylon. And the early church fathers, uh, the reformers, all, I mean, like, like unanimously kind of looked at Rome as Babylon. Now, when we say Rome, we're not talking about a city in Italy. We're add the word empire. We're talking really about what you and I today would refer to as Europe or the European Union. If you study the Antichrist, you're going to learn about 10 leaders around him. A lot of that are going to take those as, as 10 leaders from Europe, the leaders of those nations. And so when they they're, they're going to look and say when we're looking at at Babylon, we're taking we're talking about the influence and the leadership of that area of the world over the whole world. And then there'll be others that'll say, ah, "Don't don't get caught up in geography." Don't don't get caught up in something on a map. When the scripture's talking about Babylon, it's more talking about a culture of thinking. Kind, kind of like what I was just describing. You know, when you say Hollywood, now Hollywood is is on a map. That, that, that's a city. That's a piece of geography. But when you think about Hollywood, it's more it's pervading influence, not only over our country, but over the whole world. Hollywood is a culture of thinking. It is a culture of values. It shapes how we think. And so some would say that's how the word Babylon is being used. It is a culture of thought, a culture of values in the way people think. And then a third view would say, no, take it as literal as it says there. It uses the word city. Take it as a a great city, Uh, Babylon, that it's going to be rebuilt, that it will reach its former glory. There are good arguments for all three of these. When we read these in a moment, you're going to think a lot of this, boy, it really does sound like it's talking about a thought a system over the world and then there'll be other places where it looks like a city's burning right there it looks like that's an actual place i actually i think i lean toward taking it could be an element of all three of these things I I, I really do believe we're going to see elements of all three of these ideas encapsulated in what Babylon is. So let's find out what it is and what is going on there. Turn with me to to Revelation chapter 17. Now, if you are new to our church, or especially if you've been here like maybe or or listening the last uh, two, three, four Sundays, because like last week we were in chapter 13. So you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, what happened to fourteen, fifteen, and 16? So as of today, we have covered every chapter of Revelation, and we've read out loud most of the verses in every one of those chapters, but the last... Oh, two months. We've taken some of that thematically. Like back in June when we were outside worshiping. Remember way back then? I mean, I think it was like literally over two months ago. In one message, I looked at all of the judgments. Well, that was chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 11, and chapter 16. So we have we have covered chapter 16. We just didn't do it last week. We've covered all the chapters. But if you went back and refreshed yourself in chapter 16, it is the seven bowl judgments and at the end of chapter 16 you have the seventh bowl judgment the last judgment we are now looking at the entire devastation of our planet the doors of heaven are literally opening and Jesus I mean you can you can see his glory he is coming through the return is about to happen and we're going to come into chapter 19 next week and chapter 19 picks up right where 16 leaves off but in between that as is so true to Revelation and what we've said all through this series is Revelation kind of gets you confused that way is you're moving along chronologically and then you stop and you get some supplemental information. You pick up and you move chronologically. Well, the information God is giving here is we've just come to the end of these judgments and he's saying, hey, let me make it clear What just happened over these last seven years? And he's talking about knocking down two great towers. The the two great towers of man's way of living without God. The tower of religion and the tower of money. The tower of religion and the tower of money are man's great attempts to live without God. Almost everything in life can be put under these two towers. Now, in America, we think, I mean, everything goes under money, but then there's other nations that, I mean, one of the reasons they hate America, one of the reasons they would spit on America is because of our love for money. Your Middle Eastern nations, your Muslim nations, so their nations are not driven by money, driven by religion. Think about it this way, in, throughout history, every war goes under either religion or money, doesn't it? I mean, these are the drivers of mankind. Now, you may be saying, okay, now I get the whole money thing, but you're calling religion a, a way of living without God? I mean, I thought, I mean, religion's about finding God and knowing God and how to live for God. No, religion is a way of living without God. I'm defining religion as man, I'll decide who God is. I'll decide what he's like. I'll decide what he wants. I'll decide how I'm going to do that. And then I'll decide what my reward is going to be. I'll decide how God is going to respond to that. Religion is man-made. And at the heart of it is man. Now, this would be the place, especially in a Christian church, where you would expect me to say, but Christianity's not a religion. It's about a A relationship. Yay, we win. We're better than all the others. (laughs) Hey, that is our mantra, right? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. That is a truth. I do believe that. The only problem is there's more Christians walking on the earth today using it as a religion than they are as a relationship. So just because we're in the realm of truth doesn't mean we're not picking it up and using it the wrong way. Way and at the center of religion is man. And folks, the churches in America today are filled with people who walk through those doors thinking, "Well, I'm going to go to church today, or I'm going to give today, or I'm going to say a prayer today because I'm in real trouble, or because I've got some big thing come. Well, I really need God's. I need Him to really hear me on these prayers for this meeting this Tuesday. So you know, maybe if I go to church, and so my goal in entering those doors is not the glory of God. My goal in entering those doors is the glory of me. It's me getting what I want. It's me using religion as a tool to move God for my purposes. Okay, so that's not the worship of God. So, yes, religion is man's way of living without God and his revelation as as is money. And and what we're about to see in chapter 17, we're going to see God knock down the money... I mean the religion and then we're going to see him knock down the money. So chapter 17, let me begin in verse 1 and I'm going to warn you right now, you're not going to see the word religion one time. Or, or gods or false gods or anything like that. But I, I promise you I'm going to come back and connect the dots. Chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Okay, we just came out of chapter 16. John is watching these angels pour the bowls of judgment out. And then he says, hey, one of those seven angels came to me and said, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. What in the world does that mean? Now, there's an interpretive principle in, in, in the Bible that, that basically says, let Scripture interpret Scripture. When we don't know what something means, let the Bible tell you what it means. And sometimes it takes some effort. Sometimes you got to know where to go. you you, you, you got to know how to find that passage. This particular one is super easy. If you'll just go 14 verses further, or 13, let me do my math right. Uh, no, 14. Uh, go to verse 15. And you'll see the the definition of these many waters and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. This this prostitute is seated on the waters. Well, what are waters? It's peoples and nations. Well, why does he call it waters? I don't have a clue, but he told me what it means, so I don't care. <laughs> that That's what it is. And the idea of seated is that this this prostitute is seated over, this prostitute is ruling over all the peoples of the world, all the, the nations of the world. So when you hear the word seated, think of seated over, ruling over, because we're about to see her seated on something else pretty significant. Verse 2 with whom kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into, the, into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Well, that description should sound familiar. Who's that? Antichrist. Christ. Go ahead and say it. It's the Antichrist. That's right. Come on, y'all. That's the Antichrist. Well, now wait a minute. The woman is seated over? The woman is ruling over the Antichrist? Yes. So, but I thought the anti We'll come back to that. But you see that picture. Verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. So right there we know, okay, the woman is not a woman. It's Babylon. And, and go to the end, chapter, or verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city. Okay, so this woman, this prostitute is not a person. It, it's a city. And, okay, so now if it's, a, if it's a city, then how is it committing all of this ad- adultery and immorality? And I mean, there's a lot, a lot of sexual uh, ideas going on here. Let me finish up. Verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Okay, so this woman is not a woman. It's not a person. It is Babylon. And and Babylon, as I'm interpreting here, is this, we often refer to it as one world religion. Nowhere in the scripture does it say there's a one world religion. As a matter of fact, what it is called is the mother of prostitutes. So the, the mother is what? The source of something. Out of this world religion that will encompass the world flows all of the other religions, all of the other false ideas, the false gods. There, there, there's all kinds of false religions all over the world, but they all proceed out of this one way of thinking, this one thought that is being described here as Babylon, You say, okay, but now why and how are you interpreting that as being a religion? You know, all all through the the biblical story, uh, God calls leaving him, betraying him, going to other gods. Did you know he calls it adultery? He says, you're committing sexual immorality against me. Why, Why does God use that language? You know, I think if you've experienced it, Or even if you haven't experienced it, there's just a sting in saying the word betrayal. There's a sting that goes with sexual immorality and and sexual unfaithfulness. I mean, that is a word we can all kind of feel on some level, some, some more than others, right? But we can all kind of feel it. And folks, God is our great lover, He is the one who has loved us purely and rightly and always faithfully. And out of that love, he revealed. He revealed who he is. He revealed what he's like. He has revealed what life is. He has revealed what the afterlife is. He's revealed how you and I can know God and know the afterlife. How we can enjoy God and and enjoy the afterlife. God has revealed all of that. And in love, we received it. And then we betrayed it. And when I say we, I'm talking about humanity, okay? I'm not talking to you personally, okay? Just saying we as humans, we, we betrayed God's love. We cheated on the revelation that he gave us, and we went running after false gods, false ideas. We went running after lies to find worth and value and meaning and significance and power and revenge and justice. We go running after all kinds of things except the truth that our genuine true lover gave us. And God says, you know, when you're out there running after those things, let me tell you what that is for me. That's adultery. That's adultery, and that is immorality. So a a Hebrew would read this language, read all this imagery, and know, oh, God's talking about false gods here. God's talking about people, nations, running after the lie, running after these false gods that ultimately they control. Because at the end of the day, the one great world religion is, I'm God. That that's the great religion. I'm I'm God. I I can do this on my own. So, that that is that is that is the, the religion tower that is being focused on here. And yes, it is over the Antichrist for the first three and a half years. The Antichrist is a very smart dude. He's figuring out what's going on. He's getting things in place, allowing the world order to get to where he needs it. And for a time, it will serve his purposes. And those ten other kings, those ten other leaders with him, they, they will, they will yield to this religion leading. Again, in my understanding, this is after the rapture. Okay, the church has been taken up. We're in a very different world, and there will be a religion, a way of thinking. Dominant religion is I'm God. And and that will be leading, even I think in a political way, over the world because the political leaders are coming up under this religion. Now, they don't respect it. And they will ultimately do away with it. As a matter of fact, let's not wait till ultimately. Let's just read it. Verse 16. And by the way, it actually begins in about verse 8, verse 9. You see a fuller description, but I'm going to pick up in verse 16. And the ten horns, these are the ten leaders, the ten uh, places of power along with the Antichrist. And then the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll hate the lie That is against the one true God. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose. God put it in their hearts. God God is using one tower to knock over the other tower. God is using one enemy to take care of another enemy. So God is bringing about his purposes and all this, but they will, they will come to a place where they're done with all that, and they will devour it. And, and notice, it's devoured, it's gone, and nobody really says a thing. I, I point you to that, because wait and see what happens when money gets devoured. But this will happen, and, and go again back to chapter 13, when the Antichrist walks into the temple in Jerusalem and declares himself to be God, there will be no more competitors. Not even false competitors. He alone is who the world will have to worship as God or else. Or else you'll be killed or else you'll be running for your life. But all will worship God. So when he breaks that treaty with Israel, when he goes into the temple... Uh, that is the moment that religion is being devoured and everything will be centered on him. So there is the falling over, the knocking over of the tower of religion. Chapter 18, now this very clearly, look at all, listen to all the words that deal with commerce. Uh, and, and you can see this is the knocking over of money. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. See, we we join ourselves with false gods and other religions, and we join ourselves in the same sexual imagery with money. We cheat on God with, with money. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Well, no, that's a turning language. We, we've been talking about the world and false gods and all the people following that and who are the, the rulers over that. But now all of a sudden, my people, God's saying, hey, my people, you, you come out of her. You know what? Genuine believers have to be called out of these towers. Are you in residence in one of these towers? Do you have a little apartment you've got renting there? We're going to come back to that in a moment. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like a, a give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, now folks, her is who? It's money. Listen to money talk. I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I mean, what other than money can look over human history, can look over the world and say, I will never be without a lack of followers. I will never be without a lack of people pursuing me for peace, happiness, power, meaning, revenge. We look to money to fix everything. And money knows it. Money knows I will never be without people who adore me. Verse 8, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. God used the Antichrist to take down religion, and God himself took care of money. He brought down that. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. They see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour. That's the second time that's been said. For in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. And if you just look from verse 12 on, it's all again language of commerce. Verse 17. For in a single hour all the wealth has been laid waste. Verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and here's the key, and will be found no more will be found no more. So chapter 17, we have the falling of the tower of religion. Chapter 18, we have the falling of the tower of money. Babylon, Babylon, alas, alas, a single hour, a single hour, a single hour. Repetition in the Bible usually is communicating certainty and swiftness. This is certain to happen and when it happens, look out. It's going to come and it's it's going to come on fast. Babylon is here is money being laid waste, laid waste in, in just a single hour. You know, I, I would almost say, can you imagine that happening? And it's hard to imagine until until our lifetimes. I mean, change comes so fast in our lifetimes. You know, you get you get prior to 1900. People would live their whole lives and see one or two changes And some may see little to no change at all. I mean, there's a war over there and this nation changed over there. And, oh, we invented flight. And, and, you know, there would be these different things happening. But so many people would live their whole lives and see almost nothing change. You and I, it's almost like the change of the week, isn't it? I mean, how many things have we seen invented in a year? How many things have we seen destroyed in our lifetime? And we woke up into we came out of uh, we came out of Valentine's saying, OK, Easter's next. And by the time we got to Easter, we were living in a different world. I mean, change comes so quickly. And so now when I say, can you imagine this kind of change happening? It's a little bit easier to imagine. What may be hard to imagine here is the utter de- devastation of it all. Think of when 9-11 happened. Man, it wasn't but, and I don't remember the timing and I didn't look it up, but it wasn't but, what, two or three days before, before President Bush was out there standing on that rubble, remember, with the bullhorn and giving that rally cry and we're, we're coming back and we're going to rebuild. And, and boy, you know, we, man, we want to hear that. We want to be rallied. We, we, we can conquer. We can overcome. The witnesses of this realize there's no overcoming. There's not a we're going to rebuild. They're going to they're going to see this devastation is forever. I'm not sure we have today one city that represents all this, at least in a financial way. I think you'd almost have to imagine New York, London, Hong Kong and Tokyo are our our major markets. You'd have to imagine those four cities utterly being devastated in a moment. Devastated in a way that is if we were here watching all that, we realize there is no rebuilding here. There, there's no redoing this here. Chaos is now the norm. Devastation and chaos is, is now our lives. We would have to imagine that. When God knocks over a tower, it's, it's, it stays down. Which is why he says, come out of her. A lot of information here on Babylon. Not what we usually come into Revelation for. When we come into Revelation to, to find the Antichrist, to find the return of the Lord, maybe to learn about those judgments. You know, fun little fact, there's more information about the fall of Babylon than there is the fall of the Antichrist or even the fall and judgment of Satan. Revelation is about God dealing with towers that were built back in Genesis 11. Towers built in in the heart of every single person. And that's why in the middle of all this, as God is just explaining why all this happened, he actually has to speak to his own people. My people! You know what? I would assume that most of us sitting here have not put our faith and trust in money for life and life eternal. If you're sitting here, I assume you've not put your faith and trust in a false God. No, we have genuinely placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His work for us on the cross. His resurrection for, for our acceptance into righteousness. For God accepting us into, into a relationship with Him and His kingdom. We genuinely trust that. Amen? But that doesn't mean we're not still vulnerable. To the influence of these towers folks there are people who genuinely come to God's grace and the very next day they go right back to work right back to thinking if I enter those doors God owes me something and we don't probably don't use the word owes but that's our thinking if I do this and this and this then God you should and by the way if you do this and this and this And if it doesn't pay off in the way you want, what do you do? You you doubt God, right? I mean, the whole existence of God is now in question. Why? Because I'm not getting what I want. See, in religion, I'm the center. My happiness, my well being, my glory, my kingdom, and God is a tool for me getting that. And if we're not playing that with religion, then we're, we're, we're certainly playing it with money. Every one of us will go. Out, you know, we may not think about God every day, but we think about money almost every day. I mean, if we're no different, I got to pay for my gas. <laughs> right? I, I, and I'm going to go to the store. You think about money every single day. You manage money every single day. We can miss church, but you can't miss money. We're, we're all in temptation to these towers. One of the most well-known sermons in the Bible, Sermon on the Mount. Remember that sermon? That sound familiar? You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? One tower. You cannot serve God in money. Don't think you can chase both. Number two, you can be really, really religious and not know God at all. Did you ever see that? You ever see those two towers? The two towers dealt with in Revelation 17 and 18, Jesus speaks to in the most well-known sermon of the Bible. See, we're vulnerable to these things, which means you and I need to be saying, Hey, God, do I have... Am I still getting mail at one of these towers? Am I still taking up any kind of residence in one of these towers? How do we guard and protect ourselves? You know, I think in the on the tower of religion, we have to, folks, we have to go back to grace every single day. I think a lot of us in in a Baptist church, man, we're going. I'm saved by grace, but I think too often we take that phrase, and what that phrase is referring to is a date in our lives, a moment in our lives when we understood the cross, and we came to the cross. But when we leave the cross, we go right back into a a tick for tack. Hey, God, I'm doing this, so I'm kind of anticipating you're going to do that. I mean, folks, isn't it kind of hard not to think God loves you a little more if you came to church today? I mean, he's got to love me a little more if I came to church than if I stayed home and did nothing. He's got to love me a little more if I put a little money in the plate versus doing nothing. I mean, it's just incredibly hard not to think. You can't do anything to make God love you more. His love is absolutely perfect. His love is full. And it is entirely on you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And you and I cling to that grace and hold on to that grace. Not just on the day of our salvation. But every day after that. And I have to tell my soul. It is by grace. It is by grace. It is by grace. Money. Boy that's a challenging one. That that is a challenge it just consumes so much of our lives. You know, folks, there's a lot of reasons that we give. I would think a primary reason for giving is to battle what's in my heart. Am I using money, the money that God gave, to worship him? Or am I using money to worship myself and worship my kingdom and build up what I want? And that's why giving can't be... Hey, you know what? We've got a little extra this month. Let's, let's go ahead. Or, oh, here, here comes the plate, which we don't pass a plate anymore, but, you know, here. That's called a tip. That's not giving. Giving must be, and I'm not talking about what some demand God's had on you or else you won't be blessed. I'm talking about the towers that we're fighting. Giving needs to be systematic and disciplined. The same way you pay your mortgage. The same way you pay your mortgage. I mean, hey, listen, we we have good months and bad months. We have times when our job's really kicking, and we got times where our job has kicked us. That doesn't change what I'm doing with my mortgage. I mean, everything, I got to make that mortgage happen. got to make that mortgage happen. How do we, what do we move around so that the mortgage happens? How many of us would ever think that way about how we give to the Lord? Or is giving to the Lord A variable. As long as it's a variable, as long as it's something that can come and go, then money is your God. And you can be saved and struggling with money being your God. And giving doesn't mean he's not. Giving is a tool for me to battle that. It is a tool for me to battle the influence that money can so subtly have on my soul. So there's two ideas, grace and giving. There may be other ideas. But first of all, it becomes it's me becoming aware and takes wisdom. And I think we achieve that through prayer. We need the wisdom to see where we're living in these towers. Because Jesus wanted you today to know, come out of her. It's not a message for the world. That's a message for you. Come out of her. Those towers are coming down. I'll save you, but you'll be injured when the rubble comes down. These aren't towers of the future. These are towers that have been with us every day of humanity and that are reigning over this world today. What did I say? Every war, (laughs) every war under one of these two towers. Do you have an address there? Come out of her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your perfect and beautiful and good love. A love that reveals to me who you are and what you're like and how I can enjoy that. A love that forgives. A love that gives so much grace. And Lord, in the very breath of saying thank you, I have to say, I'm sorry. For how I've betrayed that revelation, cheated on that revelation. I've abandoned truth to hold on to lies. God, forgive me for that. Forgive us for that. May we come out of those towers and not be found in them. Guide us, Lord, in how we do that. Thank you for the truth of your word and that it's always here with us. The earth withers, or the the grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.